The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. It's Joe Galina. It's Scott Chu. We're back. How are you, Scott? I'm doing better. My computer works. I mean, that's uh, that's that's the first thing that's important in, in creating a podcast and being able to talk to each other online, right? Even just in in just like in general, right? Like two things that can really disrupt your day in modern society: your phone doesn't work or your computer doesn't work. Mm-hmm. One of those things not oh working, God. everything's off. Yeah, yeah. Not to get political, but you know, like sometimes you talk to. To, to people about like world events and whatnot and oh i'm worried about you know russia using nukes and i'm like i'm more afraid of them attacking or our enemies attacking our electrical grid if our electrical grid goes down no internet you know uh, our phones won't work it, that's really where you have to be afraid of so i am glad go ahead if I'm i sorry. lose gps i'm gonna <laughs> leave the house and never come back that's what's gonna happen i'm never gonna find my way back here I'm old enough where I used to go to, if I didn't know how to get somewhere, I would go to mapquest.com and print it out. And I'd either, you know, keep it on the on the passenger seat or I'd have my wife with me reading it or whatnot. You ever, are you that old where you remember oh, that? Yeah. Or no? You've always had GPS. Yeah. Try using that on a bike, bud. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That is a good point. Well, look, uh, we're recording this episode September 13th, 2022. It's about 7.46 Eastern time, and I've got the Yankees and, and the Red Sox in the background. It's the bottom of the second inning, scoreless. And Scott, it's really getting down to crunch time now, obviously, right? I mean, uh, I, I was tweeting out that Wade Miley basically saved my uh, fantasy baseball season this past Sunday. I ended up picking him up uh, and I, I was down on strikeouts and he, the five strikeouts he got me helped me to clinch my victory. And, you know, it's the playoffs time in uh, the pitcher list uh, staff league that I'm in. And uh, those five strikeouts helped me win and helped me to move on to the next round and and look you know you know you're doing things that you normally wouldn't do who would think that you know at the start of the season that wade miley would be the guy that saved my season it's that time of year where <laughs> wade miley can be a hero mm-hmm. wade miley is rarely a may hero right like he's not the guy that you're like man in may this is going to change my fantasy season but it's that time of year now Mm -hmm. A lot of random contributors because it's less about overall talent now in many cases and more about specific matchups and specific needs at specific times. Yep. I mean, what's interesting is as people leave for football, it's actually at the time when you have to do the most micromanaging. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Speaking of football, I'm going to just digress here. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Um, So a buddy of mine, he happens to be, um, my best, he was my best man at, uh, you know, my wedding. So he starts this fantasy football league and, you know, he invites his brothers, his cousins, his neighbors, you know, all people that I know and doesn't invite me into the league. So his brother's son 
reaches out to me, texts me and says, hey, look, you, you know, it's the first time I'm playing fantasy football. And I know this is a fantasy baseball podcast, but just just in general, the, the, just go with me on this. So he asks me for help, whatnot. And then then I finally realize that it's a league with just what a lot of people I know that I wasn't invited into. And so, uh, you know, the kid's father gets on the phone, whatever, when I'm helping them out too. And, I'm, and I mentioned, you know, I'm a little insulted that you guys didn't invite me in. He goes, well, my brother started the league and, and Joe, we're afraid of you. <laughs> so because I'm uh, in the, in a quote unquote, you know, an, uh, an expert analyst, which, you know, it is what it is. Uh, they were afraid to invite me in the league. I mean, do, I am super insulted. I mean, talk me through this, Scott. Have you been in a situation like this? No one has ever been afraid of me in any fantasy league ever. <laughs> so no, no, that's never happened to me. I mean, you know, I mean, look, we we we, we know a lot about player pools and fantasy baseball. And if you're in fantasy football, you, you know as well. But you, you know as well as I do, you could draft a team that you think looks great at the beginning of a season, you get a couple of key injuries and, and you make a couple of miscalculations and all of a sudden you have a crappy team. There's no guarantee, Scott, that you and I are going to win every single league that we play in. It's just impossible. I mean, there's no guarantee I'm going to make the playoffs in every league. Right. right? Exactly. Every league has yeah. different luck, luck yeah. different. I mean, it's just you never know how these things are going to play out. And I don't even mean just that in a, I mean, I can even talk that I can, I can bring that to like a lesson about a player performance right now. Right. Mm -hmm. We've been watching Boba Chet be a lesser player all year long. Great. All year. His stolen base rates are still terrible, right? Mm -hmm. He's nine of 17. uh, Last I looked, not, not including the days, uh, the games that are today on Tuesday, but as of right now, his role, if you look at the rolling chart, over 50 plate appearances, he is now doing better than he ever has, ever. Mm-hmm. His rolling Woba is up above 500 right now. He's right. never been this good after a different point this season where he had never been as bad. Right. Right. And then and, had the longest slump of his career and then and decided he, he'll be better than before. Right. That's why none of us know, like 0% of people were saying he will be better than ever at some point this season. Right. No one's been saying that. Since, you know, really when he bottomed out in like late June, mm-hmm. I traded him in a dynasty league for a lot of, you know, for a really nice piece for, I, hope I mean, so. it's a rental, yeah. but it's Jake DeGrom and I'm now in second playing for first, but, uh, you just, you can't predict these things. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, of course it leaves us with questions like where do we rank Boba Chet next year? Right. Right. Uh, it'd be really nice if he can hold this for the rest, you know, at least hold something well, good for the rest of the month. He won't be this. No one, no one sustains a 500 plus uh, expected Woba over any meaningful period of time, really. Recency bias. Say, we're all going to be high on him again next year, but you're right. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're all now the big dip. Now the big thing you're going to have to wonder is why would the Jays ever let him run? He's mm-hmm. a terrible base stealer this year. You know, nine stolen bases on 17 attempts is awful. Teams mm-hmm. usually don't like to run unless they have at least 75%. Usually they think they can make it. Uh, but, you know, and so the speed matters, but he's going to hit 30 homers. Mm-hmm. He's going to hit That's, 280. You know, I was very high on Bo Bichette in preseason drafts. I uh, uh, rostered him in a, a few teams, and he was my first round pick. You needed to t- move. Uh, you needed to move on him in the first round, otherwise you weren't getting him. So I stuck with him all throughout the season, but. Preseason, I was thinking, based on what he did last year, I loved it, you know, and I was thinking, man, this guy has a chance to put up a Cedric Mullins type of year where he could approach 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Uh, but for a while, I looked like a, you know, <laughs> you know a, a very poor fantasy analyst. But then, like you said, man, when you look at what this guy has done uh, over the past month, 371 batting average and a 1.121 OPS uh, and hitting home runs again. You know, what What really surprised me more than anything was that, you know, on, according to some player raiders right now, he's, the, he's a top 20 fantasy hitter now mm. because of how good this stretch has been. Right. And you know, what's going to happen too is at some point, 
I mean, maybe not with Boba Chet because it's so crazy what, you know, the, the change he's made just in the last couple of weeks. But when you look at the year long numbers next year, you, there's going to be people that forget about what this actually looked like. Yes. What Boba said, Boba Chet's season did not look like uh, what you'd expect. Correct. Right. It, it was, you know, it was pretty average at best. Mm-hmm. Up until again, two or three weeks ago, changed everything. There and you're being signed when you say average. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there are several players that are going to completely change their trajectory because of the month of September. It's not necessarily fair, but it's going to happen. Bad slumps in September impact draft stock the next year, right? Mm-hmm. Just like crazy. I mean, Boba Chet, people. People were going to have no idea what to do with him. He was going to, I, I worried there was going to be like a Christian Yelich problem where the upside is tremendous, but he's been really bad or a Cody, you know, I didn't think he'd create her like Cody Bellinger, but there were some real concerns there about what he could be long-term for fantasy. Of course, now it's totally changed, mm-hmm. right? Because he broke the slump. Now, hopefully he doesn't go back into a slump and hopefully he doesn't take that long to recover from it. But mm-hmm. you love seeing a guy be better than he's ever been before. And that's what Boba Chet is right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about guys having great Septembers and terrible Septembers. What about what's going on with Juan Soto? You know, um, since the trade uh, where he was sent to the San Diego Padres, batting 218 with a 345 slug. I mean, so, you know, he got off to a horrific start um, of the season and then started to warm up right before the trade. Uh, but now when you look at his overall numbers, guys batting 239, still walking and getting on base a ton, 402 OBP, 451 overall slug, but 24 home runs and six stolen bases. Is he going to, you think that he could possibly, because of what I even said too, with recency bias, you know, could he be a little bit of a bargain come draft time next year? Could he like slip into the second round, you think? I mean, I think maybe it slightly changes people's concepts of what his floor could be. I mean, this mm-hmm. is it, right? What what you're seeing. He's still going to get, I think, close to 30 home runs. Um, probably like 26. I, I mean, he's got two more weeks. There's no reason he can't hit two or three more home runs in the next, mm-hmm. you know, and he's got 24 right now. He's got six stolen bases. He might steal one or two more. Uh, the counting stats are going to be pretty devastating, I think, for people. Uh, he's got like 52 RBI right now. Uh, you expected a lot more from Juan Soto. That's probably half the total you were hoping for when you drafted him. Look, but- when you talk Juan Soto, you, you know you you when people talk about his skill set, you know you, you're talking Ted Williams, you're talking you know Mike Trout, you're talking the, one of the greatest players in baseball history. Just that that's the way people describe him. So it's like automatic, you know. There's no argument to it. But look what we're seeing here, and baseball players like anyone else goes into a slump, but his is pretty prolonged now. Yeah, it's pretty significant. I mean, uh, it's hard to stay too worried, right? Because we are talking about a player that despite having 2,579 plate appearances, he is 23 years old. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, and and like, to be clear, this is, this isn't the worst he's ever been actually in terms of expected Woba uh, in terms like 50 game plate appearances. He's been about league average. And that's something I'm probably going to have to spend some time looking into. He does have pretty darn good expected stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, earlier always had season, all season long. Yeah. Yeah. So earlier this season, we talked about, you know, there was a gap in the expected stats because they hadn't, you know, they really hadn't adjusted for the offensive environment, but they've gotten much better as the year progressed. We knew that they would. Right. And his, he continues to have really, really good. Uh, I mean, his expected Woba on the seasons in the 99th percentile, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Uh, so it's, it's Expect really, a, slug, a slug of 5'11". Yeah. So, <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, that it, it's not necessarily all bad luck, but I think with to some extent we can say, yes, he is having some bad luck, likely mm-hmm. in the batting average department. I mean, it was still going to be down, but it probably should be 20 or 30 points higher than that. Uh, so it's Juan Soto is this guy who I think he's still going to be a first round pick uh, because if this is the floor, I mean, you're still talking what? More than 25 home runs, uh, you know, plenty of runs scored. He's going to get plenty of those. You know, the mm-hmm. RBI were down, but 402 still, OBP. That's a yeah. down year for the man. 
Yeah, I mean, still striking out uh, less than 14% of the time. Two and walking 20% of the time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, his his OBP and his slug lately have been basically the same because mm-hmm. everything he's doing is walking. But again, I think that he's he's young. He's going through a slump. He's had them before. He's had them for much longer than this. Oh, no. mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. If you look at the end of 2019, we saw a bit of a slump there in comparison to what he'd been doing. It's hard to even call them slumps because he's still above league average most of the time. So Juan Soto, I think that there's a struggle there. I think things have been really weird in San Diego. I mean, it's one thing to go to a new team. I mean, they've there's been a lot of turmoil there, but they're still, you know, they're still fighting for their playoff lives, I guess. And think about what's happened since he got there. Uh, Hader loses his closers job. He was one of the best closers in baseball, loses his closers gig. It's starting to come around a little bit more, you know, recently. But then you get the news uh, about um, Tatis Jr., you know, thinking you're thinking that he's going to come and, uh, you know, add some depth to that lineup. You're looking forward to playing with him, right? Um, it's just been, it's, you know, it's a, accurate what you just said. It's kind of been a really weird year with the Padres. Yeah. I mean, this isn't even the worst slump for a player traded to the Padres, right? Josh Bell was horrendous yeah, yeah. for the first month or so while he was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gotten better lately, but. I'm willing to chalk it up to that because of just the extreme skills. Uh, there's, you know, there's reason to suspect something's off because of the the huge gap between his expected and real stats. The gap doesn't necessarily tell you that the problem is just luck. It just indicates that there is a decent chance luck is dragging this down and making it worse and exacerbating any real problems he has. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, I guess the one thing I would resist and tell others to resist is to find a single thing he's doing differently and call it the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's something that we all get trapped in. Uh, and then we get this confirmation bias because we can do something like that once. And then we expect we're going to be able to do an analysis like that every time. But simply put, baseball players' problems are really complex, right? Like Josh Hader, you can talk about all the stuff going on with his arm, but then you also have to talk about the fact that his his wife had a he and his wife had um, a complicated pregnancy for the birth of their child earlier this year. And around that time is when you see the stuff start going because, you know, as many people have said, they're humans, right? Mm-hmm. And Josh Hader's dealing with real life stuff in addition to baseball stuff, right? There are probably things wrong with his mechanics that are throwing it off. And the fact that he's had a rough year probably didn't make that any easier. So uh, it can really impact a player's ability to make adjustments. I mean, it'll, it'll lower his draft price by maybe half a round. For Juan mm-hmm. Soto, that's it. Yeah. Um, curious, what what have you been doing with him uh, on the hitter list and also uh, Bichette? I mean, have have they been going in opposite directions or, you know, have you been kind of staying the course with, I'm, with Soto? I'm actually messing with that right now. Could not do a hitter list last week because my hard drive failed mm-hmm. and I uh, can't do this without a computer and a hard drive. But it helps. I, yeah. You know, Bichette's <laughs> going to take a pretty good jump because. I, you know, I respect when I see a player doing things better than they've ever done before. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. And then Soto, the thing is, there's only so far I can drop it. Because again, if this is the floor and I suspect that it is right, that's a first round player's floor. That's why you draft him in the first round, because the mm-hmm. floor is still a very good player, right? Like, especially when they play now, as of right now, a lot of player Raiders would have him somewhere around like the 50th best hitter overall right now, uh, on this season. That's rough, right? I get that. And it's mostly, I mean, that's for regular batting average leagues because of that, uh, 239 batting average. It's probably much better in OBP leagues. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's probably something more like 30 or 40 or something like that. But again, it's, it's something where they're going to move, but particularly Soto, there's just not very far. I'm willing to move him down. There's, you know, it's one of those. Yeah. He's slumping, but who cares? Right. Yeah. I just looked Rasball has him as the 25th best overall, uh, on uh, OBP league batter. So that, that's what his floor looks like. Mm-hmm. Two spots below Boba Chet for whatever it's worth. Right. Right. Um, let's talk about, etiquette at this stage of the game um so hopefully you out there listening you're vying for 
a playoff spot or maybe have even just basically clinched one already or are on your way to winning your Roto League or whatnot. But Scott, talk about a little bit about uh, etiquette in terms of working the waiver wire in leagues where you're out of it. Um, so like, for instance, um, I play in a very competitive league. It's a Roto League 15 teamer. Um, I am in fifth place. The first four spots are kind of bunched up. I'm 10 points behind the fourth place uh, league member, and it's very, very unlikely that I'm going to have a shot. I'm still trying, but very unlikely that I'm going to have a shot. First top three uh, in the league get paid. Um, I'm continuing to make uh, wave wire moves. In general, like what's the etiquette when it comes to teams and, you know, if you're fading in the league, should you continue to, to actively pursue players on the wave war? So I've played on, I'll use an example. I play on soccer. T- I've played on soccer teams before I ripped my knee. Hopefully I'll be back next year. I've played on soccer teams that are really bad. Um, they just, we don't have a lot of talent. We're just trying to play uh, late in the game. We're never going to win, mm-hmm. but we continue to try. Right. And the reason we do is because we like playing soccer. I like playing fantasy baseball. And if my team is in last place, uh, yeah, I probably won't do some, you know, in a redraft league, I won't do trades or something like that. Uh, if I have no real chance, but I'm trying to do two things. I'm trying to not get in last and I'm trying to have fun. And if that means adding a player on the waiver wire, then I'm going to add a player from the waiver wire. Right. Right. Just because you're not doing, I mean, if your league wants to lock that all down and own, you know, make it a last man standing sort of thing uh, at the end, fine. But I play fantasy baseball first and foremost to have fun and because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And you can't stop me from enjoying it just because I'm having a bad season. Right. And part of enjoying it is trying, I mean, especially in a head to head league, I'm trying to win every matchup I have every of week. Of course. Even, mm-hmm. if, even if I, my team stinks. And in a roto league, I'm trying not to be last. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I'm going to try to do. And I'm going to always try to do that. Right. right. Um, and you know, it, again, it's fun to pick up players and see them do good. You know, I've been, you know, I was touting Jake McCarthy, despite the fact that Corbin Carroll got called up and guess right. what? Jake McCarthy has been the best outfielder in the Arizona. I did not expect Jake McCarthy to be the rookie diamondbacks outfielder that we'd be talking about in September, but, right. but he is mm-hmm. right. Because he, he can fly. The diamondbacks are letting him run. And he's hitting for some power. It's amazing, right? It, it's it's fun, right? So my view of the etiquette is no collusion, obviously. Uh, don't just be cutting all your guys because you're frustrated and done. But mm-hmm. if if you're if you're just genuinely trying to play fantasy baseball, play fantasy baseball. That's why you paid for that team. If it's a pay league, it's why you drafted a team. It's why you did all that. So have fun and play. Mm-hmm. All right, good advice. Uh, and I agree with you. And um, so. Uh, before I want, I want to talk about some of the new um, rules for the 2023 season that were announced. I think it was this past Friday, and uh, talk about them and maybe try to figure out a little bit if there's going to be any fantasy implications. By the way, uh, this is the second home run that Garrett Cole, and this has been a real big issue for him. You know, he is an ace; he's the Yankee ace, and I've even kind of, you know. Uh, even on this podcast, I even said, look, you know, I love him and everything. He's a Yankee. He's a great pitcher, but the, he's just not, he's not like a Verlander. He's not a DeGrom, in my opinion. Gives up too many home runs, uh, lets things get in his head. Like, you know, opening day, uh, the start of the Yankee game was delayed by like 10 minutes because of something Billy Crystal was doing on the field. I don't, I don't know. There was a delay in his first pitch or whatnot, and it got in his head, and then he got off to a horrible start. But uh, Yankees losing uh, now 3-2, and uh, Cole's given up two home runs. Okay, so uh, since uh, we last met and did a podcast together, we got Josh Young, let's see, Tristan Cassis, Josh Young, third baseman for the Rangers, Um, Tristan Cassis, uh, first baseman for the Red Sox, any interest in uh, guys like that in terms of uh, there's only a couple of weeks left, but you know, um, who do you think gives you the best chance of, of the recent call-ups or even, you know, uh, Gunnar Henderson is, is still uh, playing well, you know, um, any thoughts on, on some of these players, like for the last couple of weeks, if there's a chance that, you know, they're still on a waiver wire. Yeah. So, I mean, 
Josh Jung has, I mean, he's striking out a lot as he's come up. It's only been a couple of games where he's striking out over half the time. That said, he showed excellent plate skills in the minor leagues and he is hitting for some power. Uh, that's about all he's hitting for. Actually, he has five hits, two doubles, two home runs and a single. Uh, so, so he's definitely got that. I actually, I rank Gunnar Henderson the highest right now mm-hmm. of all of them. And a big part of that is, I mean, it was opportunity right? He had a clearer path to playing time than a guy like Corbin Carroll, who's probably the best prospect that's been called up this season. Uh, even though the outfield, the, the Diamondbacks outfield is strangely crowded with young left-handed outfielders that they need to get a look at. <laughs> it's really bizarre. I mean, it includes it's McCarthy and then Josh Rojas plays infield and outfield. Dalton Varsho has mostly been in the outfield. He's left-handed as well. And Corbin Carroll, they all need to play. So that's been rough. But Gunnar Henderson has uh, a pretty wide open path to playing time because a lot of guys in his way are guys that the Baltimore Orioles just don't care about long term. Ramon Urias is not a long term asset for them. Uh, Rugnet Odor, you know, the show favorite Rugnet Odor yeah. yes. uh, is on that team. And it's it's not someone they're worried about the future. So Gunner's going to play. I think he's got a great skill set. Um, the thing is for these young guys, you don't have time for them to work it out. Uh, and so I'm really focusing matchup to matchup. Right. So uh, right now, Josh, you know, Josh Young was in Miami. Right. And they generally have good pitching. But if he's not up against, you know, Alcantara, I'm willing to take that shot. But again, this time of the season, I'm balancing talent and schedule a lot differently than I did sometimes. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, A great I mean, a great tool that's out there. I mean, if you pay for any of ESPN's content, I think Tristan Cockroft's Fantasy Forecaster is one of the best tools out there in terms of just looking at the schedule and seeing what you get. But uh, if you don't pay, you can go to Fangraphs, you can go to Roster Resource, and we all use it to look at depth charts and things like that. And if you don't, you should. But one of their in-season tools is really useful. It's the 2002, there's the probables grid and the schedules grid. The probables grid takes you out about a week and a half, two weeks, and just shows you who is projected to uh, start for each game coming up. Right. And obviously it's subject to change because teams don't make it official that far ahead, but they do keep track of that. And then they also include any news that they that they find right from their news wire. They go, oh, this guy, it sounds like they're going to call this guy up for Thursday. Let's let's drop him in. The other thing they have is the 2022 schedule grid, and it takes you out about two weeks. Right. Actually, it might even be slightly longer than that. It might be three because right now it actually shows all the way out to Saturday, October 1st. Right. So it'll actually show you. What team, who teams are playing, who have the most games and also who they're playing against. Like for example, this week, it's a little late to act on it, but you still could. Um, Tampa Bay and Toronto had eight games each for this week. They played every single day day, and they had a doubleheader. Mm. Uh, They had it today, which when you're listening to this will have been yesterday. So that's a huge deal because many teams had two days off this week, especially if you're in a weekly lineups kind of thing. Um, are you, do you want the guy who plays eight games or six games, right? Eight games or five games, right? That, think, I mean, that's a me huge think. difference maker. Let me so think. I'm definitely uh, looking eight, at that. Eight is the answer, right? Yeah. Okay. Every time, yeah. just about, right? Unless there's a huge talent gap. But like, for example, I'm looking at the Colorado Rockies. They've got one homestand left and it's against San Francisco and uh, San Diego, right? So I'm really looking at that. next week. I'm going to be loading up on Rockies, Giants, and Padres, because they all go. Um, the Padres have a, you know, both the the uh, the other matchup that week isn't always great. But for example, San Francisco is at Colorado and then at Arizona. Th- those are not great pitching teams, mm-hmm. right? Outside of what, like Zach Gallen? Uh, so absolutely Who's incredible. In, you know, but yeah. yeah but, but the Giants, I mean, that's what? One starter to watch for? against the Giants next week and they play all like they play seven days. That's mm-hmm. huge, right? Dodgers next week, they've got eight games. They play every single game, uh, every single day, and then they have two against Arizona. Right. right. So that's a big deal. That's something I'm watching for. Right. Who plays the most and who plays the most in very favorable situations? Uh I mean it's just it's honestly sometimes as easy as going through the schedule, looking at the teams I want to target and seeing who they play against. Right. I go right down to the Colorado line and I'm like, all right. Uh, who's headed to who's headed to course soon, right? It'll be their last homestand. It'll be a seven game homestand. I want to know because um, they're going to, you know, that's probably going to be pretty darn good. Or I look at the Nats and say, okay, who plays the Nats? They don't pitch well and they don't hit super well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or, you know, I, I just, 
or I'll go to the Probables grid and see every game that Noah Syndergaard starts because I know that someone's gonna like someone's gonna steal a bunch of bases that day because Syndergaard yeah. just doesn't hold runners, right? I you can use those things to your advantage because now you are you're micromanaging your roster and knowing the schedule. I mean, that's also how you're gonna use that Probables grid to pick out the streamers before the day of, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone looks for tomorrow starters or today starters, but now you can look out for okay today is Wednesday, but actually I need a guy for Sunday. Right. Um, yeah, you can do a lot of the, you know, a lot of the sites that people use will allow you to also pull up like a schedules grid and see what projected starters for what day. And also on the hitting side, you can see what their upcoming schedule is. And in many cases who they're playing against, right? Mm -hmm. If you've got a lefty and you notice that they're going to get three lefty, they're going to face three lefties that week. That stinks. If you see that they're going to play all righties in a given week, which is very plausible. Uh, that's awesome. That's going to tell, that's going to help you make that tough lineup decision because you probably have more players you want to start in many cases than you have places to put them. Right. So how do you make the call right now? Schedule, 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 schedule. And if you have a TBD as the projected starter and he's pitching against the pirates or the A's, go with the tbd but anyway um, every time yes <laughs> tbd is the worst pitcher in the league <laughs> or it could be the best pitcher in the league you never yeah, well, know <laughs> i mean you know as a general as a general note like whoever that guy is plays for everybody he's no good right Back against him every time you're going to do decent right um okay so uh, why don't we take a quick break here and then i want to go over uh some of the new rules that were uh released this past Friday, uh, and 2023 season, uh, going to be slightly different, uh, and, uh, want to get your opinion on it. See if there's any, uh, fantasy implications involved in some of these rule changes as well. We'll be right back right after this. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we're back. Hacks and Jacks, the fantasy baseball podcast. Joe Galena, Scott Chu. Follow me at Joe Galena. Follow Scott at If the Chu Fits. And uh, as I tease right before our little break, uh, baseball announced that there are going to be some uh, rule changes for the <coughs> 2023 season, Scott. Um, and let's just go through a few of them before we say goodbye to everyone. Um Bases, the bases that are going to be used are going to increase in size from 15 inches to 18 inches. And I was reading this really good uh, article on Fangraphs by Michael Bauman. Uh, he, he, uh, he's really good at math, I guess, because he figured out that it's a 45% increase in surface area. But the thought here, Scott, is that uh, we're going to see, with a bigger base, we're going to see a decrease in injuries, uh, you know, like injuries like spikings, twisted ankles. You know, the bigger base is going to lead to less awkward twists and turns because, uh, you know, the, the base is bigger and you're not going to have to worry too much about colliding with the, the defender if you're the, the runner um so uh, in AAA, uh the first season of them using larger bases didn't make much of a change on its own but in the lower levels bigger bases combined with rules about pickoffs that we're going to talk about later uh saw large increases in steals per nine innings so uh what do you think about this uh is, idea to uh, use larger bases so i i lean towards what happened in triple a 
I just don't think it's going to change that much. So uh, steals are a, a very situational thing in the in the major leagues. What, what you will find in the lower minors is that catchers and pitchers don't care about the run game. They, they're both. It's a combination of not being very good at stopping it and not caring because uh, you're trying to like work on your stuff and get to the next level. Right. You'll see gaudy steals totals from tons of guys in the low minors that don't translate one bit to the major leagues because lots of major league catchers can throw guys out. Right. Whereas lots of minor league catchers can't. They're still learning the craft. So I don't think I mean, there is, you know, that that stat, that 45 percent larger area. I mean, one that is good. I think that will help some of those awkward injuries. And you kind of use the you know, it's sort of like that pizza pie math. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the difference between a 10 and a 12 inch pizza pizza doesn't sound like much, but it's actually enormous. Right. right? You've increased, <laughs> you know, it's actually a lot more pizza, a lot more um, calories, baby. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just don't think it's going to that particular rule change. I think may be the least impactful of the ones we see. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, it said that uh, the larger base, but also uh, when you combine it with the pickoff uh change in rules so now um what they're going to do now is let's see uh pitcher's going to have a pitcher's going to be allowed two pickoff moves without penalty but after a third step off the pitcher's going to be charged with a balk unless at least one offensive player advances a base um, so this is going to be real interesting. Um, and yes, yeah, so I'm reading this thing from uh, ESPN. A lack of action on the base paths has been a concern of MLBs in recent attempts to improve the aesthetics of this sport with stolen bases per team down to 0.51 per game in 2022. That's down from 0.66 a decade ago. Um, and in the eighties and nineties, when you had, uh, Vince Coleman on the Cardinals regularly stealing 80, 90 bases. You had um, uh, Ricky Henderson stealing 130 bases. Uh, the range of uh, bases, the average number of bases per game stolen was 0.75. So they're thinking that this pickoff uh, rule not only is going to help to change the pace of play where there will be less interruptions, but they're saying that it actually helps again in uh, – getting more stolen bases in the game. Yeah. I mean, stolen bases are really exciting. However, there's a reason they're one of the main reasons they're less common is because sabermetrics just doesn't like them very much. It's hard to steal bases. Mm. And again, you don't want to do it unless you're looking at like a 75 to 80% chance because of the, you know, the way it impacts your likelihood of scoring a run in general, right? Because the object of the game is to score runs and getting caught stealing crushes your ability i mean you might as well have not gotten the hit man right? we were talking about bobachet before and you were saying that he wasn't a good uh stealer of bases <laughs> where yes he's, he's tried 17 times to steal a base gotten caught eight yeah, so in a lineup exactly. like that where they just got a bunch of power hitters that kills your rallies right there i mean that's runs off the board yeah eight, getting caught eight times took runs away from his team mm-hmm. right i mean it just it's just the way it works. So, I, I mean, I think that there will be players this impacts more than others. It's going to be the real speed demon guys, right? The Jake McCarthy's, the Jose series, where you're trying to do everything you can to keep them from running. That's when those, I mean, what's more common, right? You get picked off or you get thrown out at second. You probably get thrown out at second. Yeah, no? you because that's what you see, right? You see players get thrown I out got, at second. Got the answer right? Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So what's going to happen is, uh, yes, you're going to limit the pickoff moves. Uh, but one, I think pitchers will just hold it, and, and you'll get fewer of those like almost lazy pickoff moves to just walk them back. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be more intentional, but I think it's just going to emphasize. Um, you know, and may it, to some extent get teams more focused on defensive catchers who can throw guys out at second because you can't just rely on pickoff moves. But again, mm-hmm. there are some players, there are some pitchers who just don't do it right for the longest time. John Lester had the yips. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, it, teams stole on him all the time, but that's also because he had a slow delivery and those kinds of things. But mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think. At most, it does increase the number of stolen bases, but that actually just generally 
devalue stolen bases in Roto, which is something we all actually probably should want. Mm-hmm. A single stolen base is far too valuable in Roto right now due to the scarcity of them. Um, and just the like what it really dictates the kind of draft capital you have to spend to get stolen bases. I'd love to see stolen bases go way up so that we can treat it more like the other stats. Uh, Cause I'm sick of having to really focus just on steals because they're not at that important to the game of baseball, to be quite honest, especially compared to home runs and, and doubles and things like that. Um, you know, you'd rather your player hit a double than do a single and a steal, right? Because but, the double uh, has more chances to drive in additional runners. Right. Right. But I'm just going to say, you know, the stolen base, and you alluded to it just two seconds ago, it's an exciting play because, you know, I got to watch Ricky Henderson in his prime um, when he was with the Yankees in the mid to late 80s. You know, if he walked or got a single, you know, you knew that he was going to be on third. It was a triple because he'd be on first and inadvertently he would just steal second. And right after that, He'd steal third. The guy was a great. Not only was he like the fastest guy in baseball, but he was he was able to read the pitcher and was a great base stealer as well. I mean, the way he changed the game was he'd get on first in whatever way, uh, and then either someone would hit a single, and that's first to third for Ricky, right? No yeah. one's. Oh yeah, it should be uh, first to third for a lot of guys, but yes, no yeah, doubt for, for, for Ricky. Mm-hmm. It, or if not, he steals second and mm-hmm. he runs for home. Right. Right. I mean, he just adds base. Like he was the kind of base dealer that really the, the, because his chance of success was so high that it just made sense to send him every time. It's one of the reasons they keep sending Jake McCarthy uh, Mm -hmm. in Arizona because Mm -hmm. his success rate is just really high. He's really fast. I mean, you're also seeing this with Jose Siri. He's one of the fastest guys in the league down in Tampa. Yeah. Uh, And they, they let him run because, uh, you know, one, they don't have a great offense to begin with. Um, and they're more of a slap hitting offense than a home run offense. Mm-hmm. So get guys in better position to score runs. So, yep. I, I mean, I think this, this will, I think certainly have more, those pickoff rules will have a lot more impact than the base size thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Although I, I think it all pales in comparison to the fantasy analysis we have to do for the, the killing of the shift. Yes, yes. We'll do that last because um, with the pickoffs, you know, and I did mention, you know, the stolen bases and whatnot, but I think that the biggest thing that the pickoffs are going to do is just help with the pace of play, right? And and what else is going to help this pace of play but the pitch clock, Scott? Uh, So with this new rule, uh, pitchers are going to have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty and 20 seconds with a runner on base hitters are going to need to be in the batter's box with eight seconds on the pitch clock. So um, if a pitcher has not started the motion to deliver a pitch before the expiration of the clock, he will be charged with a ball. (laughs) So if a batter delays entering into the box, he's going to be charged with a strike. So, uh, you know, I mean, this is going to be real interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, they enforce this, Scott. I think, I mean, I could make up theoretical reasons why this could be a big impact for, for fantasy for specific players, particularly those who maybe shake off their catcher a bit or, you know, batteries that maybe don't have that kind of chemistry because they can't agree on where to put the ball. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think this is really just going to be a quality of life improvement. It is worth noting that if I'm not mistaken, the players that have representation on uh, the the rules committee or whatever did not vote for these. Right. Uh, they didn't want them. But at the same time, I think there's there's good reason to suggest that uh, it'd be nice to see more, you know, a little more urgency on the mound getting these pitches out. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we just don't need a lot of three hour ball games. Yeah, uh, we just don't. Uh, but again, I'm not super concerned about it. I do like the fact that the batters have to get in the box. Uh, some take far too long. Uh, they can still call time and things like that. But, you know, just just keep the game moving. Yeah. And um, they experimented with this in the minor leagues and minor league games that use the pitch clock we're an average 26 minutes shorter, Scott. So uh, I think it's really good. I mean, Scott, when I was a kid, and I'm a lot older than you, but when I was a kid, baseball games here in New York used to start at 8 o'clock. 
and they'd be over by you know ten fifteen, ten thirty, and you'd you'd go straight from the from the ball game into the ten o'clock news. So it's like you know now you know I I love the game and whatnot, but you know these three and four hour marathons. No matter how much I love the game, they're a little tough to take. It's one it's one thing if there's like you know extra innings and scoring and things like that, but mm-hmm. some of these games are just taking a long time because players are taking a long time. Yeah. And I'm sure there's competitive or strategic reasons to do so, but I don't care. It's boring. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I mentioned that article from Fangraphs that Michael Bauman wrote, uh, and. He mentioned another interesting effect of having a pitch clock would be that pitchers would have to conserve their energy and not like go all out when they're throwing their pitches if they know that they're forced to reduce the time in between that they throw pitches. So that he's thinking that maybe velocity would kind of go down and then the trickle down effect, maybe there'd be less strikeouts, maybe there'd be more balls in play. Yeah, what do you think? Alternatively, we may see pitchers throw shorter outings, right? which they're already doing, right? Right. That I mean, sort of trends with the strat, like it sort of matches with the trends we're already seeing. I expect that it may just continue to feed that trend a bit and just more five and six inning starts than six and seven inning starts, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it won't be crazy, but again, I, I think. I think leagues that use the quality start do have to think about this because they're going to start running into a scarcity problem, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in theory. Right. Um, But again, people still play with stolen bases and that stat has a horrible scarcity problem. Right. The stolen bases are all bunched up in the same players. So uh, it's something it's something interesting. It may impact. It may make innings more valuable because starters don't get as many and the guys that are going to take those innings are middle relievers and we don't use them in fantasy. So mm-hmm. it sort of reduces the number of innings that are available uh, in a fantasy league reasonably. It makes it harder to get to that thousand, right? Uh, Cause you need more starts to do it. Yeah. But I mean, that's a, that's a long-term effect and it may be fairly minor. I think from player to player, we don't see much of a change except for maybe the really hard throwers. Um, but again, if their team is doing, you know, if their team isn't scoring, it could become, I mean, these shorter games could become really tough if they're not efficient, mm-hmm. but I, I do think, you know, it, it may put more stress on efficiency as well. Right. And one of the other things, and then we're going to get to the shift, but uh, Mike Bauman, Michael Bauman noted that in 2021, the average time in between pitches was 23.7 seconds. He also noted that some of the biggest culprits regarding this are relievers. And we just talked about pitchers going, you know, fewer innings and whatnot. But uh, relievers averaged 24.7 seconds between pitches. And St. Louis's Giovanni Gallegos was the biggest culprit, averaging 31 seconds between pitches. Really uh, takes his time. <laughs> oh, it's miserable too. I hate oh, hate when he'd get on the mound in the games I was watching because it just slowed to a crawl. Yes, yes. All right, so let's move to the shift. Let's shift over to the shift. Um, so at a time, Scott, when a pitch is thrown, there will need to be four infielders on the dirt and two of them are going to have to be on each side of second base. Players will be able to move as soon as the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. Um, if the hitting team reaches base and runners advance on a ball hit under the violation, the game proceeds without penalties. If the play has any other consequence, an out, a sacrifice, etc., the hitting team can decide either to accept the penalty, which would add one ball to the hitter's count, or decline it and the play would stand. Fascinating rules, first of all. Uh, second of all, I, I want I really think the important thing here is, number one, don't just automatically assume that guys that struggled against the shift are going to get these huge boosts in batting average. Now, they will. We're going to see boosts in batting average. It's going to be for very specific players. Joey Gallo has a chance at winning a batting title next year. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a very reasonable take. That's what I like yeah, about it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so he, I mean, he's obviously the poster boy for a player that could really use help with the shift, but let's be clear. Um, what you're also going to see is the second baseman is not going to play nor like they're going to still move those guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I think you will definitely see a, an increase in batting average when there's a 
player on first, right? Uh, especially against the left-handed guys, because the first baseman is going to have to stay at first base. They're going to play right on the line. Second baseman may have to move a little to adjust. You're going to see the shortstop come all the way over to the second base, like to second base, and probably leave the third baseman where they are. They're going to be some modified pseudo shifts, mm-hmm. right? I think that's definitely something uh, you may see an outfielder move up a little bit, but not much. It's not going to, but it shouldn't change their power numbers that much, right? Their slug may go up because they get more singles, mm-hmm. but the home a home run is a home run regardless of where the infielders are, right? right? They have no impact on on that hit, so it won't necessarily help guys who just aren't hitting the like aren't hitting home runs. So. On one hand, like, yes, a guy who perennially is crushed by the shift is Carlos Santana. Had a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a renaissance to his career this year. He, he's shown some relevance, especially as he's been with the Mariners. But we should see his batting average go up a bit. And in turn, a slight increase in his OBP, you know, increase in his slug due to the, you know, increase in signal sing singles but what you won't see is just a bunch of like the home runs and doubles were home runs and doubles anyway mm-hmm. right because even when you know, the shift is designed to take away a single a specific single a single between the first and second baseman right that's it that's all the shift does it takes away that single so players you will see boosts in batting average but it doesn't change as much other stuff right? It's just Mm going to raise really league wide batting average probably goes up a bit, particularly for left-handed batters, right? That's it. Well, let me tell you in the minor leagues, uh, they, they experimented with this in the lower levels of the minors and batting average on balls in play for the first two months of the season, uh, by left-handed hitters rose by eight points. So that's pretty significant. Yeah, especially when you're talking about an overall group with a bunch of guys who will never make the majors, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty significant, mm-hmm. right? And with minor league defenders, yeah, yeah, right, who are not. I mean, minor league defense is is not the product you see in the major leagues, mm-hmm. right? There's a reason they're in the minors. So again, we'll see this bump in batting average again for some players more than others, right? Uh, fly ball hitters just don't see this as much, right? Uh, and actually, that's one of the things for Carlos Santana he does hit a lot of fly balls, mm-hmm. right? When you hit a bunch of infield flies, it doesn't matter where the infielders are. They're going to get under it, right? <laughs> it, it, it's not a difference maker. So it's going to be those sharp ground balls that really, you know, they really push it. It's going to make their batting averages more variable, mm-hmm. right? Uh, again, other names. So we've seen Anthony Rizzo really struggle against the shift the last few seasons. I think he could see his batting average go up a bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, the big one's going to be Christian Walker. Every ground ball he hits is basically an out mm-hmm. because it's right at the shift. Uh, and he already is showing plenty of power. So he, you know, that's a pretty big deal, but you're not going to be able to just go down the list of guys best against the shift and move them all up your draft board because you really need to know the rest of the sort of batted ball outcomes that they do, right? The shift again impacts ground balls and low line drives. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So you know, how, and they have to be hit hard, right? Because if they're not hit hard, the second baseman is going to get to them anyway. Right. So you need hard hit ground balls to the pull field. So you need to look at, you can look at things like who was best and worst against the shift, but then also you need to look at what kind of balls does the player hit, right? And those guys. So I think if you combine a leaderboard of like who's, who struggled against the shift and also who has high exit velocities, on ground balls and who is pulling the ball a lot. I think when you combine those three things and you see names on the tops of all of those lists, those are the guys that really stand to gain because the other thing about eliminating the shift is it doesn't affect all players the same, right? No, no rule change ever does, but this will be an extreme case and that right-handed hitters, it affects them basically nothing at all. Yeah. Right. I mean, I personally don't like this rule. I don't know. How do you feel about it? I mean, I feel that the the hitters should have been more proactive in, you know, learning how to, you know, hit to the opposite field. You, you know, know, bunting more, uh, you know, force the issue where, hey, you know, make it so that 
it's it's not effective against you. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, guys that strike out too much. Yeah, there's been too many strikeouts. Why don't we uh, instead of make it three strikes and you're out, make it four strikes and you're out? I mean, <laughs> that's just. The way I, I mean, feel. if you've got so you're up against Christian Walker, right? You know that he's going to do one of two things. He's going to hit a ground ball to the pull field, um, or he's going to hit a home run to the pull field, right? Uh, that's it. So if you've got him trying to do a push bunt, uh, you've, you've already won, right? Mm. Because he's not going past first base. First of all, he's probably not getting to first base. Well, if your third <laughs> baseman is playing in the outfield or all right, the way right. shift, yeah, he will yeah. be on first yeah. base. Yeah. Yeah. You're stopping at first base, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's sort of the point of the shift, right? It is mm-hmm. to get rid of those singles. And they know that the only way to counter it is to, at best, get to first. Mm-hmm. That's it. So I think that's why you probably never saw the players react because managers wouldn't have cared. It was not going to stop the shift. It was just going to limit your ability to produce, right? If you've got, you know, especially in his heyday, if you've got Joey Gallo having to bunt all the time, you've already taken the bat out of his hand. But it wouldn't be all the time. It'd be enough where they're like, okay, you know, let's, you know, it's not wor- it's not doing what we intended on doing. The guy's getting on base. And then, yeah. you know, the player behind him will move him over or score a run. But I get what you're saying, you know. Yeah. And, and I think Gallo's built to hit 40 home runs a season. Yeah. And I mean, when you're that hitter, too, you're like, hmm, I guess I could do a bunt. Or I'm pretty good with this bat. What if I just hit it over him? Mm. Right? The shift doesn't matter if you hit over it. Right. And yeah. I think there's a lot of hitters that wanted to do that. And some just don't. Right. Uh, and others maybe just didn't care that much, but you know, because they're also a liability on the base paths like Carlos Santana, right? He doesn't Mm -hmm. run very well. Uh, he can't bunt. Uh, and even if he did, it takes him a long time to get to first, right? He needs the ball to go a long way. So I get kind of why players didn't react. And I think baseball wanted to ban the shift earlier, but there was this hope that the game would make the shift less effective, but it turns out we just like teams just got better at shifting. Mm-hmm. Right, they got more creative with it. I think you will still see creativity in where you place infielders, right? And I'm not so attached to like let you know let guys do whatever they want, right? Like you know it's not fun watching a guy you know watching Joey Gallo in the batter's box right now, and not just because he's not hitting, right? Because it's it's home run or ground ball out, picked up by you know whoever it is that's you know playing in the shift. So I. I do think there's going to be players that benefit a lot from this. As far as the rule itself, I'm indifferent. I like the strategy of shifting. I also recognize that we're it's definitely the defense had gotten almost too good player. Like players just couldn't adjust to it. Mm-hmm. They couldn't beat it. Uh, and they probably also accepted that, you know, there's certainly guys that probably thought about bunting it and then maybe took some bunts uh, in practice against live pitching and realized it was not a good idea. Right? Like maybe they're just bad bunters. Right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like it's, I mean, we all say like, oh, well, in Little League, yeah, but I've never had to bunt. Like, who, how the heck would any guy feel all that good about bunting against a, not, you know, oh, hey, look, it's Jake DeGrom throwing his 95 mile an hour slider. Let me just put my hand <laughs> near Let the middle of the knuckles. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, if, if you get hit by the pitch. But, uh, and I hate to keep on bringing the Yankees, but that's, that's who I, you know, I, I know uh, best. But, uh, you know when Jeter was th- was getting started and whatnot, Phil Rizzuto was still showing up to spring training every year, and he'd hold bunting clinics. You know, and I'm not just saying even just exclusively bunting, but maybe you know just. And I'm sure that they do this, but you know, players you know, work on on slapping the ball to the other side. You know, doesn't have to be a bunt. But anyway, it's just just a, an observation. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, you don't you don't want to you don't want to get hit by a, a hundred mile per hour Degrom fastball on your knuckles as you try to punt. A- absolutely not. I think the only other thing I'd say about it is uh, one of the main. I mean, the main reason players pull the ball is because they're early, right? That's how you pull. Mm-hmm. You swing earlier, and if they wanted to push the ball, you just swing. I mean, you, you hit the ball deeper in the zone, right? That's inside out. Like that's just how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, not super complicated, much harder to do than it is to understand. Right. Um, there, there's a reason that one of the reasons the shift works so well is that you use it against players that are almost always trying to crush fastballs. Right. 
Um, and they try to get ahead of those because their sweet spot is to pull that ball hit a little early because earlier also gives you that launch angle, right? Because you're later in the swing and you're rising up, uh, with that, with that bat. So you can get that launch. And so, you know, that, that was a big issue. Those hitters are just designed to do that. They got to the majors by using that swing. Yep. So yep. shift Good is just point. really effective against them and mm-hmm. they weren't going to change. So they made a rule. Yep. Uh, they made a rule. The, the Rays, uh, you know, uh, started a new uh, trend, and as they always do, it seems, right? We'll see what they come up with next. But um, all right, so that kind of slams a lid on things for today. Kind of a quick episode. Any previews uh, to the hitter list that you'd like to share? Do you, uh, any idea who the poster boy might be this week? Yeah, so the poster boy is uh, Gunnar Henderson. Ah. So uh, he'll be ranked at at 101. I've got him just outside the top 100 overall hitters. Um, I I think the big focus that I'm going to be having here is you're going to see some guys towards the back that are, it's all based on schedule and recent performance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. would I ever rank, like, do I ever feel good about ranking maybe Eduardo Escobar? Absolutely not, but he's crushing the ball right now. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much I can ignore that. So I'll probably put him in that, you know, in my, uh, the taxi you know, like, squad or yeah, in the taxi like, squad, yeah. somewhere like that. Or other guys that I just notice that are hitting well, even if not everything's quite coming together, right? CJ Abrams has actually been hitting much better, uh, of late. A guy I noticed who really that. struggled yeah. early. He was a former top prospect when he was a Padre, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really the, the key of that Josh Bell deal. He's hitting better of late. And the more he hits, the more he gets on base, the more he gets a chance to use those wheels, right? Yes, Not doing yes. it yet, but that's the next step. I've he moved him into my starting lineup on one of my teams. He's on my <laughs> yeah, bench for a while. He, yeah. Because he's hitting well. And mm-hmm. once he's hitting well and he can really start getting more established in that lineup, that's when you'll see the steals. Mm-hmm, right? The last mm-hmm. thing you want to do to a guy who's been struggling to make any kind of contact is get him on first and get him thrown out at second. Right. Mm-hmm. He actually did get caught stealing last week. But uh, I do think that's going to come. It may not come this season. It's hard to know exactly when that's going to happen, but that's the other thing I'm really watching for. I'm watching for these young players to see what kind of adjust- adjustments they can make and what spot in the order their teams are willing to hit them. Mm-hmm. All right. So we look forward to that. Uh, and uh, that's just about, like I said, uh, slams the lid uh, on things for this week. And uh, we'll uh, just, Wish everyone luck out there as you go chasing your championships, right? Um, follow me at Joe Galena. Follow that guy, Scott Chu, at If the Chew Fits. Follow our podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. Also, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast content and uh, leave a review if you can. That uh, helps us out a lot. And as always, We hope that all of your fantasies become realities, and we'll see you next time.